Hi there, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Meryl Johnston. The Lifestyle Accountant Show exists to help today's accounting firm owners build successful firms while also living a healthy, happy life without sacrificing sleep, your weekends, or time with loved ones. Today, I'm talking with Sarah Parkinson, the owner of Diverse Business Consultants, a remote 25-person bookkeeping firm based in Australia. Sarah lives on a farm with her husband and three children, and their closest town has a population of 100 people. She's owned and operated businesses for the last 20 years, and today we're talking with her about her experience in making three different acquisitions at Diverse, and one of them was acquiring a portfolio fees from me at Beanages. Uh, I think it was pretty apparent to me early on that it was a good match. And of the three acquisitions that I have been through now, it's still the probably the smoothest because we were the closest aligned in that all of your clients were on fixed fees. That was easy. We could move them to onto our ignition proposals. They were on the same billing cycle. Today, we're covering acquisitions in the bookkeeping firm space. We start by talking about Sarah's backstory of buying into a bookkeeping firm as an experienced small business owner, but she wasn't a bookkeeper at that point. Sarah shares why she became interested in acquisitions, and then we do a breakdown of the three different acquisitions. The first, buying a book of fees from Beanages. The second, which was through a broker, and so we discussed the pros and cons of that. And then the third, which was different again, and so Sarah compares and contrasts those three different acquisitions. She also shares some lessons like why a retention clause is critical and how to negotiate that with a seller. And when transitioning clients, something that came up for her, an unexpected factor that can make the transition quite difficult and how to avoid that. All that and more coming right up on the Lifestyle Accountant Show. Are you worn out by the complexities of sales tax or maybe just tired of constantly picking up the pieces when software messes up? It's time to embrace a better way with Tax Valet. Tax Valet's sales tax compliance suite handles everything for you from data prep and filings to managing audits, all for one simple, easy to understand monthly fee. Tax Valet is looking to form meaningful relationships with accountants who truly care about their clients' experience and want to partner for the long haul. We've been recommending our B-Ninjas clients chat to Tax Valet about their sales tax requirements for years. If you're interested, check out taxvalet.com, that's T-A-X-V-A-L-E-T.com, and check out their partner program. Remember, with Tax Valet, it's not just about making sales tax easier, it's about making your life easier. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And can you tell the listeners, where are you at the moment? I am currently uh, at our farm in Delaca, which is about five hours west of Brisbane. I think that's such an incredible story that you can run a large bookkeeping business from the country, five hours from the nearest major city. When did you move there? Uh, I moved here when I got married. So that was in about 2011. And it's been fantastic, but COVID really uh, made it far more socially acceptable 
to to work remotely because before that I was scurrying back to Brisbane uh, frequently and we did have a traditional office in Brisbane. So it ha- it's just so fantastic now that I can be so open and honest about where, where I work from. And to be a country wife with a, a kick-ass awesome career is, you know, so fantastic. Is there some pressure on you from the other women in your area that you should be, I don't know, baking scones <laughs> or entertaining, I don't even know the terminology, the shearers? <laughs> um, uh, it's, I am, I mean, it's a bit unusual what I do from out here and I, mean, I still try and contribute as much as I can to the community and I'm on the local committees and but my, like my friendship group out here is so diverse. So there's some women who don't work at all and are really, you know, supporting their, their families on the farm and then others that do other interesting things like interior design or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So it's, it's a real mix but I mean not a lot of people even in my local community would really know or understand what I actually do and that's kind of wonderful and and also sometimes you're a bit like hey you know I actually did this really cool thing and I'm working on this at the moment so it's it's really interesting and non-traditional. How many people are in your local community? What's the the local town size? Uh, Well Delaca is tiny like there's one hot pink pub if anybody's looking for a road trip um and I think the population of Jalaka is say a hundred or something like that there's there's a service station a pub and you know a few houses and not much else so it's very very small but this is not really like you know your remote outback like you'd consider this quite metropolitan to only be five hours from from Brisbane (laughs) wow (laughs) I'm so curious about all of this it's not like you can just pop down to get Thai takeaway if you don't feel like cooking or you can just pop oh you forgot the milk and you can just pop down to the Um, local supermarket no way. And that is the hardest thing that just being completely honest that I've really struggled with in having a career and, and running the business and through such a high growth phase is you don't, if I was in the city, it's like, okay, I'm going to get somebody to help me with cleaning the house. I'm going to get a gardener. I could get a nanny to help me or the kids could go to after school care or I could get um, you know, takeaway or I what's the the meal that hello fresh or something like that to help us out whereas out here you do not have that the the best thing that I've worked out is with the local supermarket I can email in my orders and they'll they will pack it up so um, I can just pick it up instead of doing my groceries but yes it is totally different world and you've got to be super organized with all those things so let's get into a little more about your business can you talk about what diverse looks like now and then a bit of the backstory of how you got into bookkeeping. I would love to. Uh, So Diverse Today is a team of 25 Australian remote bookkeepers and we specialise in looking after service-based businesses where almost 100% zero. So uh, yeah, we're all about systemizing and automating your bookkeeping processes. So that's what it looks like today. We've got people across uh, South Australia, Victoria, Queensland, and New South Wales. It's ended up being an all-female team, which was, we've had a few men, but they've kind of come and gone. (laughs) 
Um, and so I've, I've really had to build a business that works for me. So yes, it's you know obviously ultimately about the clients, but I've also made decisions along the way to create a, a company that works for me, my family and my lifestyle. Um, as far as how I got into bookkeeping, that is a bit of a random story. So I, when I left school, I uh, obtained a marketing degree and I worked in marketing and PR for some time. And then I've always been quite entrepreneurial, which sounds a bit crazy, but I, uh, so I worked in, in a marketing business that I created for a couple of years. And then I created a food business, uh, which was like a, a gourmet deli style business um, before Coles Online and Woolworths Online and and we did home delivered fresh food in, in Brisbane and the surrounds. And I, I grew that company and I ended up having a bookkeeper who worked with me for seven years. And she, I was so lucky because she was fantastic, a known industry figure, and she also worked for zero. So I started to, to work with and learn from her. And then when I got married and was moving to deliver and I sold my company in Brisbane, I was thinking, what on earth am I going to do? I can't go from being this busy to <laughs> making scones. <laughs> so I said to Colleen, uh, like, oh, well, you know, you have trouble finding great bookkeepers and people to work with you. So I, I started working with Colleen and then we went into business together. And then over time, I ended up uh, purchasing the book, oh, the business from from her and we went our separate ways after a couple of years and then it's kind of grown and evolved from there so th- I think that was about I, I started with Diverse in 2015 and it's probably been four years completely on my own. That's so interesting so don't come from an accounting or bookkeeping background and are running this big successful firm. I, I have to ask some questions about that transition so because it's a really interesting story I've never heard of this particular scenario before where the non-accountant or bookkeeper joins forces with their their accountant or bookkeeper and then ultimately ends up taking over the business. So was that your plan when you and Colleen started working together and you joined the business or or how did that play out? Absolutely not. So the plan was that I was going to utilise my marketing and PR skills and because I had that, that knowledge from being a business owner and being a client of a bookkeeping a small bookkeeping firm. I was so I was meant to be focused on the business development and, and providing some support from a bookkeeping sense um, because I had picked up <laughs> one of those really annoying clients that's like I can do this myself. <laughs> So I had picked up some skills along the way. And as I had a business degree, like I did have some key fundamentals there. And then over time, uh, as the business started to grow, I think Colleen realized that she wanted to enjoy more, you know, being a solopreneur or whatever you say, whether or a digital nomad. So she loved working by herself and was less keen on, on the people side of things as the business kind of grew. 
So it just became I wanted to to grow and see what we could achieve and that wasn't her jam. So we went our separate ways, but it wasn't the intention from the beginning. And so what was that negotiation like of the two of you deciding what to do with the business and how to transition it across to you and for her to move on? Were they tricky conversations? How long did it take you? Yes, deeply, deeply tricky because I think we both liked each other and we enjoyed working working together but then there were just components that weren't working and and our aspirations were just so different so yeah. um it was really tricky because you're trying to to maintain the relationship and do the right thing by them and vice versa but then you're trying to go after you know what you'd also want and get the best result. So I think we ended up, I I can't quite think what the split was, but I might've retained 70% and Colleen took 30% so that she still had, um, you know, a, an income and, and a business for herself afterwards. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's no way beating around the bush. It's a very anxiety inducing time when you're trying to to work out you can't see into the future and you don't know and even when you're splitting because it had started as Colleen's business I was very nervous that people wouldn't stay with me so mm-hmm. I I retained the diverse name because I felt that was very important so mm-hmm. the clients that stayed with me had had the seamless branding and can stayed with the diverse brand whereas the people that went with Colleen like had known and worked with her for a long time. I think that was a a smart move. It it sounds like the ones that moved to Colleen uh, it was about her not so much the brand anyway. I I can see how that would have helped with that transition. Yeah so I had to get my Baz agent license like quick smart and I'd luckily I'd already done my cert four. When I moved to Delaca I just thought oh I'd better actually uh get certified. So luckily that was all in place. And, um, but I had to do the BADS agent process. This podcast is brought to you by Electrify. Are you an accountant grappling with the complexities of crypto? Are your business savvy crypto clients hard to keep up with? Do you find the intricacies of blockchain technology overwhelming? Don't worry, Electrify is here to help. With their roots in Bitcoin accounting since 2014, They specialize in crafting strategies for SME accountants that not only attract the right clients, but also turn them into profitable partnerships. They'll help you to update your service models and pricing and provide you with relevant training, tooling, and workflows. Work with the team at Electrify to build the foundation to confidently support your clients' crypto transactions and businesses. Check out electrify.finance to find out more. That's E-L-E-C-T. R-A-F-I dot finance. Well, let's um, transition the conversation now and we're going to talk about acquisitions and you're starting to become quite experienced at acquisitions. (laughs) (laughs) You've made a few (laughs) and I know firsthand because we actually sold a parcel of Bean Ninja's fees to use a a number of years ago now and I think there's some interesting lessons there and then we'll talk about some of your other acquisitions too. But why don't we start with the Bean Ninja's acquisition and what's your recollection of, of how that started? and and why you were even considering acquisitions at that point. Yes. Well, I had so I had built diverse and the the systems to be quite robust and I was really confident in 
or as confident as you can be in in how things were working and I wanted to to challenge that and to grow further. So the actual backstory is that I had run into on holidays uh, a, a couple and a, and a guy that I had known years and years ago that had become really successful. And I started asking him some questions around how he had done that and what he had done. And he explained to me he was in financial planning and that they'd made a range of acquisitions and and he explained what their strategy was and and how they'd built this large company which is all up the east coast and enormous. So I started thinking, just challenging my thinking, well, why couldn't I do the same thing or a similar thing with bookkeeping. So that was where the concept came from. And then I think I had explored a few opportunities before we started talking that it hadn't executed until we, until the Bean Ninjas opportunity. So it was really about looking for ways to grow the company further. I felt that we were underutilizing this, this structure that we had built. And so I'll give a little bit of context from the Bean Ninjas side. So this was around the time when Bean Ninjas had decided to go all in on e-commerce. So we were ripping the bandaid off. We were changing the headline on our website to say e-commerce growth accountants. And we'd realized, well, actually, yes, we do have a big portfolio of e-commerce clients, but we have all of these other great clients in other industries and we need to find a new home for them so that we can focus our team's efforts on being great at e-commerce. I had um, reached out to some people and I'd also put a, a post in a Facebook group for accountants and bookkeepers saying, hey, we've got this portfolio of great clients. They're on monthly retainers. They're on zero. They're well-trained to do cloud accounting and then had shared some more information about that and asked for people to get in contact uh, as to who might be interested in buying this parcel of fees. And I can't remember if, if you came across the Facebook post or if it was through some other means. No, it was the Facebook post. I saw it and I pounced. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I connected with you. Uh, we'd already met, but y- yeah. uh, yes, that was it was from the Facebook post. And so I remember that phase. So I, I created a form as part of that post for people to express their interest and to say, well, what kind of valuation would they give? Um, how would they structure the payments and also background about their firm because I try to find someone who operated a business in a similar way to Bean Ninjas where there would be a, a nice smooth transition for the clients and it would feel like a similar experience. So I think I did something like 15 vetting calls with different firm owners but and most of them I didn't know but we'd actually we'd met in person, we'd stayed in touch after ZeroCon many, many years ago. Yes, yes. And so I think that was a big factor for me in actually that we we knew each other and I felt confident that the clients would get a good experience and that Diverse was operated in a similar way to to how we operated. Yes. What what was it like for you when when you were starting to think through, well, is this the right deal? Uh, I think it was pretty apparent to me early on that it was a good match. And of the three acquisitions that I have been through now, it's still the probably the smoothest because we were the closest aligned in that all of your clients were on fixed fees. That was easy. We could move them to onto our ignition proposals. They were on the same billing cycle. The and the other important part was the the service factor. So we were. I would say that we because we offer phone support and all of those things. It was like actually the clients were hopefully getting a slightly 
um, imp- even enhanced experience. So, th- so that was a good thing because when you're going the other way, um, <laughs> yes. that's very, very difficult. Uh, so it was it was very smooth in that we were able to negotiate that quite uh, efficiently and and quickly and very um, clear cut uh, in because of the way that you had structured being ninjas. It was very much like okay, well here's a um, spreadsheet of obviously you don't disclose initially who clients are etc but like this is client a b c d their monthly fee maybe their industry what their services are whereas once you go on and do other deals you realize it's actually very difficult to get it articulated so clearly yeah it was, it was interesting i was before we started recording today i was looking back over some of our emails uh, where we were negotiating the contract and also working on the transition and for me something that stood out I think because we knew each other we already had that level of trust I remember one of my emails saying oh look I'm not going to bother with checking with the lawyer about this clause let's just move on and get get this deal signed and I think that both you and I had that attitude that we negotiated all of the key terms ourselves yes we both had lawyers representing us to make sure we didn't have anything stupid in the contract or do anything too drastic, but we were able to negotiate most of it ourselves. And I think it was within a couple of weeks that we were able to finalize deal terms, which I think is pretty fast. Uh, I've also been involved in other um, transactions and that was definitely the fastest that I've had because we were able to negotiate it ourselves mostly. Absolutely. I mean, if it makes just reach commercial agreement as quickly as you can without compromising, but it's got to be win-win for both because they say, Saves you a lot in the in in that legal process. Yes, both in legal fees and also just in time to get the deal done. I, I've been working on a different type of agreement just recently, and we made the mistake of introducing lawyers too early. So I think what we should have done is agreed all of the terms first, and then drafted it with the help of lawyers. So just drafted in simple terms. But instead, the lawyers got involved right at the beginning with all the long, lengthy clauses, and mm-hmm. so we had to keep mm-hmm. redrafting it every time we were we were still negotiating the terms. And so that would be. A, a lesson from my perspective. Oh, ab- absolutely. So w- once we negotiated the deal terms, then we started to, well, well actually, I'd get your perspective. What, what were some of the key things you were looking for in the contract when you're from the, the acquirer side? Yes. So I think retention is really critical. Uh, so having a retention clause is imperative I mean, my thoughts would be not to do a deal without one, no matter how great you think it is um, to always negotiate that. So that was important to me. And I was funding it out of that particular deal out of cash flow. So to have to have the staggered payments was was good. Uh, and I was really looking to to ensure that we were receiving uh comprehensive information about the clients and and the service like you know the services that they need to be provided how they'd been serviced what the procedures were like that was really important to me so they were probably the two things and obviously you're wanting to ensure that you're getting quality clients and I mean I now have a list for any acquisition that I'm looking at of like specific things that I ask I've become very systemized about it (laughs) nowadays Uh, but those were some of the fundamentals for me at that time and I don't think if I I mean maybe being 
the first one, maybe I would have um, pushed too hard and, uh, you know, and gone without a retention. But now in hindsight, like I think that's really important. And from my perspective as the seller, I understand why an acquirer wants a retention clause. And so I've, I've done this quite a few times now and I've, I've always agreed to that, but I've also negotiated on the timeline of that because I felt like at some point the responsibility for retaining the client hands over to the acquirer. And so I think we, we were both pretty reasonable about that. I've had some some people want to negotiate um, retention clauses where the client needs to stay for more than 12 months, whereas my view is that the transition probably takes about three months and then you need maybe a little bit of extra time after that just to bed them down. But then at a certain point, there's nothing more that I can do from my side to make sure that client stays. And so that's something to think about as either the acquirer or the seller as to, well, what's a reasonable time period for that retention clause or that clawback? Yeah. Was our six months in the end? I I can't actually remember. I I think it was something like that. I felt like it was reasonable, but I can't actually remember exactly what it was. (laughs) I think maybe all the the three deals have all been six-month retention. So I think if if the person's not willing to, to offer some form of retention I'd be you'd be wondering why do they know that um, there's a client that's you know building an in-house finance department or you know something um, on the radar that they're not going to be staying with you or whatever it is and I think it actually creates an incentive to have a smooth transition and I know that's something that you and I collaborated on with the transition Again, I was looking back at my old emails and I can see that that I drafted something to send to our clients, but I was getting your input about am I positioning diverse the right way? Am I introducing the right people? You did a Loom video to introduce diverse mm. that I could include when I was explaining how it all worked. And we were very clear about, okay, this is the timeline. This is the impact to you. There's no fee increase. Uh, we're, we're sharing all of our files and we'll have a Slack channel. So Binge is going to communicate directly with the diverse team. There's not going to be extra questions. We're kind of trying to preempt all of the questions that the clients might have and communicate that and show you and your team in the best line. Yes. Well, I learned a lot from you during that process as far as the the depth that you went to 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 work through just the construction of the email that uh, to let them know what was happening. Like I think you even recorded individual Loom videos Mm -hmm. for the clients and then and then introducing me in a link. Loom video. It was, that was great. And I've actually now adapted that concept. Like when I let someone know about a price rise, it's like, we'll record them in individual Loom and, and, um, and thinking about, I think one of your, the questions right at the end was like, how does this impact you? What do you need to do next? Like it was very clear and comprehensive. So, um, so that was great. But I think still it took, because, because we didn't obviously retain the Bean Ninjas branding. So, and Mm -hmm. This is what makes it different to other deals. So we actually have to get the clients to transition to diverse and to sign the the paperwork. So, and I think most did, but then there were a few stragglers that we had to, uh, yeah, had to be followed up a little bit to to make the move. And there were and there were a couple lost in the process. I think wasn't there? There were. So we had a few clients on there that weren't very responsive generally, and, and so they were <laughs> they weren't replying um, to us about sending information information to complete their BAS or their the reports, but they also weren't replying about the proposals. And so I think we had to count a few markers lost because they didn't sign with you in, in, within the timeframe that we were 
expecting. And then that's one of the downsides when they have to re- when they have to take an action to move over. It's different when you acquire the whole business or it's, it's under the same branding. Yeah, you know, it's when risky. We, As in, I think also somebody, you know, they ended up moving their bookkeeping to their accountant or whatever it mm-hmm. may be. Like you're just causing them to stop and pause and and think about their, you know, how they're managing their accounts. Yeah, I think if you could avoid doing that, um, it works better. When we had cloud counting merge with Beaninjas, which was another Australian e-commerce firm about two or three years ago, uh, even though we changed the brand, we didn't have to change the proposals because the billing was still going through the same entity. So the terms and conditions were the same. It was just the trading name that changed. And so that was very helpful with retention because it didn't really impact Mm -hmm. the clients. It was more just a a name change. So before we move on to your next transition, were there any other lessons coming out of that Beaninger's transaction? Uh, I think it went as smoothly as it could, really. Uh, No, I can't think of anything. I've got lots for the ones coming up, though. (laughs) All right, great. Let's let's dive into the next one. So can you set the scene for for the next one? Uh, How how long after the Beaninger's transaction was it? And was there anything different this time around? Yes. Okay. So I think because the Bean Ninjas uh, transaction went so well, then I'm a bit buoyed and gung-ho and ready to fire on all cylinders. So I um, had been keeping an eye on the market for, for practices that are becoming available. And I, so this, so the second acquisition was through, through a business broker. So it was a genuine like business for sale listing, not just, you know, not through a Facebook post or knowing someone. Not just a Facebook post. <laughs> no. So, um, and it was a larger firm based in, in Sydney. So, a lot, you know, bookkeeping practices can be quite small. So, that you know, this is larger in turning over, over, say, $500,000 in fees and a small team of like four, I think, or something like that. So, uh, it was completely different because you liaising with a broker through the process mm-hmm. and you, uh, I didn't know the business owner at all. Mm-hmm. So that's a totally different dynamic. And it was I, because I'd known watching the market for a long time that the that these practices of this size are not very um, frequently available. There's like you can find, you know, there's $100,000 fees, 200, like quite small ones that generally that's what has been listed that I have seen. Um, so I was quite excited when this came up and uh, started liaising with the broker. And it's just different because they're really, but I have come to decide this to be true, but they're really telling you that, oh, they're overwhelmed with inquiry and they can't you know, get back to you and there's, you know, this is the most interest they've ever had in a business and <laughs> all of this stuff, which I actually think at the time, perhaps like finance and these types of businesses are becoming increasingly popular to acquire. Um, but you kind of like half believing it, half not like, you know, do I need to, you know, put it, I haven't even spoken to the lady, do I need to put in an offer like this minute? You know, do I <laughs> offer the listed price? Like, is that foolish? You know, you just have no idea. So you've just got to work through that whole process. And I um, insisted on or requested a meeting with the owner, which seems to be quite unusual, which I find unbelievable, particularly if you're buying a service-based business. Um, yes. 
But other brokers will tell you that no, you know, they've got offers. Uh, and and a lady that I ended up going into another negotiation with about another acquisition which didn't come together, but she said to me that I was the only person that requested a Zoom meeting, which I find wow crazy. I find that incredible. As the seller, I would want to meet everybody because that's going to impact the retention of, of you can assess pretty quickly in 10 minutes whether you think uh, it's going to initially, whether it's going to be an absolute disaster or not. I know, I know. It was, uh, yeah, it was a much longer process. So I think our our opportunity would have been in uh, mid-2021. So this would have been later that year and then we settled in February. Uh, 2022. So um, it, oh, there's so much to say. It was like a much uh, very complex deal. And also because I was dealing with somebody like the business owner still, we work together today. So she has stayed with Diverse and we have a fantastic working relationship. And that's been one of the best things to come out of the acquisition is meeting each other and working together. Um, cause we're, she was getting, uh, selling her practice to, to get, you know, heading towards retiring. Um, and we've stayed working together because she likes, you know, she still wants to be doing something and utilizing her skills. And mm-hmm. so that's been fantastic. But I was, you know, I've been through several acquisitions, and, uh, well, you know, my business partner and what I'd done with Bean Ninjas and I'd explored other opportunities that hadn't executed. Mm-hmm. So I, I was kind of, and also in my previous life, in my food business, I had done two business acquisitions with that, which I, should mention. But so it was interesting going through the process with somebody who like they're fundamentally the owner of a small business and they've only, you know, this is their first time. And I think there was a lot that went on between the lawyers and it was a lot to negotiate the the retention. It, it was just far more complex. And I think there have been a few key learnings, not to jump the gun, <laughs> around so yep. while fundamentally we are a similar and have a, I'd say, a similar approach to running a business and and our services and how we interact with our staff and, and our clients, so we're quite aligned in that regard. But then I was really buying a traditional bookkeeping practice that had, while the majority of clients were on zero, not all the clients were on zero, you know, it was going, you know, completely different systems. So I had to migrate all of those clients onto XPM and and the staff onto XPM. And, you know, they'd never, there was no fixed or bare, like a few fixed fees. And if there were fixed fees and they're charged like on some random day of the month, then no, they don't pay in advance, they pay in arrears. And no, this one does pay in advance. And it was like just very different. And I think that there were, like I underestimated how much work it takes like those things that you think when you're in the mm-hmm. negotiation phase like oh yeah takes five minutes we'll show the staff how to do this and we'll send the client's ignition proposals it, it, those things are quite momentous when you're run, like you've all, so at the same time that this mm-hmm. deal went through diverse itself just seemed to 
explode. So it was, you know, that was really busy. Then you're aligning, you know, bringing everything across and you've got clients that have never done an e-signature. It was just a lot happening. And ultimately it's been successful uh, and it, it's worked, mm-hmm. but there it was just a, a lot more complex than I anticipated. So I just want to make sure that it's not all like glory days in that I can remember one day just sitting at my kitchen bench like literally like shaking and crying being like oh I've I've bitten off more than I can chew like that I am literally there and you've got nothing (laughs) you just have to keep going like you've and in this case, like I had a loan to to fund the the deal because it was you know significant. So you you've got no option. Like you have to keep going and make it work. <laughs> I know. This podcast is brought to you by TeamUp, helping you to recruit rock star Filipino accounting staff without the ongoing BPO fees. We've had Filipino accountants on the Beanages team for about four or five years, but my experience with BPOs has been average at best. When COVID hit and our BPO team moved to remote work, we started to question the value of paying an ongoing monthly fee for every team member, particularly as we had a couple of years of experience now working with an offshore team and no longer needed all of the support that a BPO can provide. TeamUp provides fixed price recruitment with no ongoing fees. It costs around $3,000 for them to run the end-to-end hiring process. That starts with creating an attractive job ad, promoting it on multiple platforms, attracting hundreds of candidates which they vet and interview and test, and ultimately they present the top three candidates for you to interview. We've just hired our first accountant in the Philippines with TeamUp. The process took about five weeks from beginning to end and saved our manager in the Philippines hours and hours of time. It's a busy time of year for us and constantly hiring was taking her away from other valuable work like reviewing client files and also managing our team in the Philippines. TeamUp also offers an employer of record service through their partners and that takes care of the compliance side of things. So next time you're looking to hire a rockstar accountant in the Philippines, check out hireteamup.com. That's H-I-R-E, teamup, T-E-A-M-U-P.com. so many questions for you after, after hearing that but well let's start with the loan so how did you go about getting the loan and was that secured against anything what because I, that would be interesting for other people particularly who are interested in on the acquisition side well I am very fortunate in that I uh, loaned the funds through my husband's family's company so a bit so it's like an internal loan that was yes. through their business facility so I um so I do I repay the loan and I pay interest and all of those things but I didn't literally have to go to the bank and do an application um so because that would have been difficult yeah so I was fortunate in that regard yeah that's helpful and you mentioned that there was complexities in this transaction and then a little earlier you you mentioned that you now have a checklist so you've systemized the acquisition process are there a couple of specific things that particularly that you learned from this transaction that you now have added to that checklist 
Uh, yes, well, not necessarily from from this acquisition, but things I learned along the way, like make sure you uh, triple check there's no personal relationships between the the business owner and staff and the and the clients, because sometimes you'll go quite far down a deal and you'll find out that oh no, it's the guy's brother who owns the group of you know the largest clients. So I'd watch out for personal relationships. You there's so many things like I could talk all day but you would um, make sure that like look at the length of time the clients have been with the the company so like if they've been there a few years well that's great they're less likely to change whereas if they're new then the relationship's still at risk in those in the earlier days looking at the stage that the businesses are at like are they in growth phase are they in like sunset phase like, they look, you know, if this is a company that say the practice is being sold because the business owner is retiring like other clients retiring so uh yeah you, there's lots of different things to ask and and look at and and make sure that you're buying something that you couldn't just grow yourself in the same. Yeah. yeah how did you think about that? Because I know your marketing works really well and Diverse is growing organically quickly too. So how were you thinking about those two different options? I think, as I said earlier, I think I was just really looking at capitalizing on the structure that had been put in place. So I, you know, I had some great staff that I still do. I have a fantastic team, but that uh, upskilled, trained, ready to go staff that it was like, okay, she's ready to elevate. Like if I can you know, give her this opportunity or build this out, um, like move her up to run a team. They can look after this new client. So for me, it was about, and it was just about capitalizing on what we'd already built, but then also considering like interest rates were low and also like you were paying for this key infrastructure. Like, you know, the thing going back to my friend, the financial planner, he was saying like, you know, you increase your turnover, but those overheads won't increase at the same rate. So, you know, that's where you build your bottom line. And that's what I was considering. So like running um, a budget, if I plug this in, like, what does it look like? And, but like, I'm still in that phase where you're, uh, I'm coming out of that because your costs do increase for a period of time. And then you only achieve the efficiencies after a while because you kind of go through this time where if, you know, if you're acquiring staff or they become more inefficient as they adapt to new systems and it costs you money, et cetera. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask about that because in, in the second, so the first acquisition was just clients only, no staff coming across. But the, the second one you've mentioned, the bigger one, I believe the the business owner, the, the partner moved over and, and it sounds like some of the staff. So what was that like? I imagine there's more considerations when the team's coming over as well. Yes. So how did you find that? Uh, it, it's been complex. Uh, that's my answer for everything, isn't it? Um, so <laughs> the business owner was contracted, like that was part of the deal that um, she had to stay on can't remember the technical term for that but yeah she had to stay on for a period of time and that was all part of the agreement that she would work like 
this number of hours per week and, you know, this was the agreement. So, I mean, that's essential if you're uh, acquiring the team. So the team will have to sign new employment agreements and come across. And I was softly introduced. So we did um, Zoom sessions to meet them and introduce myself. And the plan was for that I would go to Sydney and meet everybody in person. But that, I think that was waylaid due to, oh, I must have been COVID or something around the around the time. So um, it was actually a little while until I I got to meet everybody. And like it's worked, like the team members, the, the key core team members are all still on board and I have we have a great working relationship with them. And again, because the business owner and I are quite like aligned and, and similar in our approaches, uh, I think that's that's worked well. But it's been difficult for some of the staff to adapt to the tech because that's another thing. Like when you're going through that process, you've got to think about that the person selling the business, it's in their vested interest for you to believe that this is the most tech savvy, you know, innovative, adoptive business going. And I think like when that's conveyed through a business broker to it was like it's only now that I've got further into it and I've now been running it for over a year that I think, oh, like, yeah, it's a, it was a bit different, a bit behind where Diverse was at. Um, and also they were going from the, the service difference, which was different from the deal with Bean Ninjas, was, no, these are going, uh, go, the clients were going from a firm where, you know, that, that small firm size where the business owner speaks to everyone and you know their dog and cat's name and what happened to their son, Bill, and all of like that mental service where the, where the business owner has like worked seven days a week and call me anytime and all of that. So that was like a massive adaption for those clients to then go to Diverse where we provide you with a rock solid service, but we're not on tap. Like you can contact us during business hours and that's that. And there's <laughs> a few other, yeah, like boundaries that we have in place that were a bit different. But overall, like again, same thing, you must have a retention clause because there were clients lost in the in the process because that, um, we merged that company's branding straight into diverse. So I wasn't interested in operating two, you know, different branding, two different companies. Um, I was, you know, I just wanted to keep building the the diverse trains. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I can relate to what you're talking about there. It was similar to when Cloud County merged with us. So that was a firm that was smaller than us. And Tracy had a team, but the client relationships were still very oriented to her as the partner. And she's talked about this a little bit on on her episode on, on this podcast, but it was very hard to untangle that to change the service level from the Beanages service, we, same kind of thing. We do a, we provide a good service, but there's a lot of boundaries around when the team's available. No, you can't have anyone's mobile phone number. You actually have to schedule calls through calendar. Calendly, you can't just pick up the, the phone. So it was quite hard to retrain. In, in fact, there was a lot of resistance to training the clients around having less Tracy time, which was one of my jobs was to put in systems and processes and reset boundaries around that so we could scale beyond uh, without ha- needing her to work more hours. So that, that was definitely challenging as part of our transition to, to reset those expectations. Mm, it's That's a 
That's the biggest thing. And, but I think you've just got to stage it over time. Like people can't deal with too much change at once. So like first change is same people, same price, same expectations, but now you're seeing a diverse logo on your billing. So we go through that for a couple of months and then like then we'll make another change. And uh, it's just been over time that you've built that uh, alignment. Yeah, yeah, great point about just staggering it. So you get used to this and then it'll be yeah, gradually, gradually something different. I just think I've made that mistake before when I was younger with in different industries, but with food, I would, I bought a business and then I thought, right, let's change this. Let's change that. Let's like, and you've overhauled the whole business and you think it's all for the better, but I think it just puts at risk those fundamental relationships. So, and, and what was core to that business that you didn't even realize. So it's always like slowly, slowly, like you'll get there in the end. Got more patient uh, as <laughs> yes. we've got older. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear about the third transaction. Okay. So now I've got so much business that I need, I need more stuff. <laughs> so uh, I ended up, this one was interesting and, and, and went really well. So I, uh, I must have done a Facebook post looking for a team leader for somebody. So at Diverse, the, the whole business is broken into these teams or pods. And so we needed a fourth pod and I needed an experienced person to um, come aboard to run that. And it can be quite challenging to find people with the right experience level to to take that on. And then, you know, you're going out to quite an introverted industry and say, okay, I need a people manager as well, someone that can do client relationships and manage the work. So I was on the hunt for someone in that regard. And then I um, became connected with a lady who was look, had been running her own practice, a solo practice. And she, you know, was looking for a change from what she'd been doing. Um, so she took on the the team leader role at Diverse. And then at and when we were negotiating around that role, she did ask, like, would I be interested in, in acquiring her client base if everything went well? So we uh, commenced working together and it, after a few months, it, it was going well. So then we commenced negotiations around the acquisition or Merging her clients into diverse. Interesting. So that one was less about acquiring more fees, but almost like an aqua hire of how do you get a great talented person? Oh, well, she happens to own a business. And so that's a way to secure her long-term role mm. with diverse. Mm. Interesting. And so were there any lessons or challenges coming out of, of that one? Uh, well, she was contracted. So after the acquisition and then the retention period, like she was contracted that she had to stay in that role for a certain period of time, which I think may have been six months and so she did resign from the role after ouch (laughs) she still works here so we have maintained a great working relationship and she's still part of the diverse team but she I think what I understand is that like 
So she was moving away from being a solo practitioner to get better work-life boundaries and to be able to take holidays and to, you know, have space. And then I think coming into diverse, into the team leader role, which was high growth, pretty hectic, a lot of change going on with, you know, merging these other clients in. And so she has changed to a bookkeeping role at diverse now in that she you know just wants a lower stress position so I think that was okay because yes ouch but also you've got to be ready for these things and you've got to have pre-planned it and the whole I mean when like a size practice that we have now with I think there's 25 staff and 300 and something clients or is I it cannot be dependent on one person so because people even though I want a you know, and I have a great team that have stayed with me for a long time. Nobody's going to stay forever. Things happen, things change. So, and this is why Diverse is built the way it is. So that even though she can step out of that role, like they're still emailing the same email address, they still phone the same phone number, like from their perspective, as long as they're receiving the same service, it shouldn't change. But And we ha- we haven't lost any, like 100% of the clients in that deal were retained. But it was, again, better aligned in that it was 100% zero, all fixed fees. They were already on XPM, already charged on the first of the month in advance. Like So there was a lot of alignment there, which made it easier. I thought uh, you meant she left the business entirely um, <laughs> after the six months, but that makes more sense that she still stayed, but just wanted to change role and, and not be in that leadership role. I actually noticed, so a lot of our team is in the Philippines, but we find that team leader role hard or much harder to fill than our senior or junior and senior accounting and bookkeeping roles that we've got a few people that are ambitious and want to grow into people management. And so then we train them up. Um, but we've definitely picked some people where they're great technically, some of our strongest technical staff, and then they think they want to do leadership and then they try it and, and very quickly decide that that's not for them. I mean, have you got any tips about how you find the people leaders or the team leaders in, in a bookkeeping firm? Oh, it is, it is really challenging. So I've, I mean, two of my team leaders are, um, so we have, there's four. One was an external recruit through a recruitment agent and that took a long time to, to find her. And then two are internal promotions and the other was another external recruit. I think you do not hire just on technical skills. You you cannot. So it's got to be in the soft people skills, how they're going to. So each of mine manage, say, a team of five or so. Um, and they've got to have those soft skills to to, to be a safe space that the bookkeepers can come and ask their questions, that they can, um, because, you know, that's how you know what's going wrong if people feel comfortable enough to ask questions. <laughs> if, so, yeah, they've got to have those people skills. Like, yeah, it is difficult. I would skill test and then we personality test and 
And I still, even though I have a we have a HR lady um, as part of our team, I still personally interview because just after so much, you start to pick up on what is going to make a, a great team leader. And for us, like that's the most critical thing because they have to ensure that team is hitting the KPIs and, uh, and that work isn't getting, because we don't micromanage the work and I don't have a, you know, we're running everything off XPM. So I can't see that you process that payroll at that time or, you know, there's no tick box. Um, so you're really relying on the team leader to to have that oversight over what's going on and, yeah, very important. Well, we're, we're coming up to the end of the conversation. Do you have any final thoughts around acquisitions and, and your experience now that, now that you've done a few? I mean, the, the next question for me is probably, when, when's the next one? <laughs> I'm having a breather at the moment. No, I, I feel like we've built a company that I, I love the size of it and I, I don't, my aspiration is probably not to get any bigger. It's to, just to get better at what we do and it, it's a great size. And, and you would appreciate this. Like I went from, and when I knew that I had reached the space that I wanted to, to be in, I had, I went from Delica, like, because our team went from eight to 25 in like seven months or something crazy. And then I went down to our team retreat and I had to stand up and speak. And you don't think 25 people is that many people, but everybody looking at me, their life depending on me, I was, I was like, okay, that's enough people. <laughs> um, so just going from I'm normally, you know, working from Delaca, talking to my computer, and then to suddenly like see everybody in real life was a lot. So we're in a great sweet spot now and I love small business. So I don't, and I love knowing my team and, and um, being as involved as I am. So I'm probably not one to aspire to like franchise into every state or I don't know, do all those kinds of things. And so I'd never say never about another acquisition because if the right opportunity came up, I would explore it. I mean, I'm all about exploring every opportunity pretty much. And then, you know, if as the red flags come up, you know, knocking it out once, you know, and I if I was doing it again, I would be really looking for complete alignment. So don't like when you meet the business owner, you know, do you connect? Are there like, are you aligned in, in your approaches to business? Because you're not, it's not just a deal said and done and you never see them again. Like you, it's quite a prolonged process and you've got to work together. So if they're difficult in the lead, in the negotiation or signing the contract, like you're signing up for a world of pain afterwards. So abort. I just think look and don't get so enthusiastic about the opportunity that you can't see the signs. Like don't overlook um the red flags as they come up. And I, I would be thinking about like, what's my business look like now? Where am I going? What do I want to achieve? Is this going to be easy to, to merge? Well, it depends whether you're taking their branding or merging or acquiring or whatever it might be, but just stay on, on that path and, and ensure that you're 
getting the, yeah, making the right decision for your life overall. Amazing. Well, if anyone is interested or has a, maybe they've got an acquisition offer for you, (laughs) um, what's what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Uh, Probably via our website, which is diverse, D-I-V-E-R-S-E-B-C.com.au and you can um, reach out through the contact page. Amazing. Such a fun chat, Sarah. Thanks so much for, for dropping by the podcast. Thank you. I enjoyed my conversation with Sarah today and it was fun to reflect on the transaction that we did together with Diverse acquiring a client portfolio from Bing Ninjas. It was also interesting to hear about Sarah's entrepreneurial journey and I liked that not being an accountant or bookkeeper didn't stop her from buying into a bookkeeping business and maybe it was even an advantage. She did go on and get her bookkeeping qualification but it sounds like it may have helped her to hire other bookkeepers and focus on the running of the business and things like marketing, processes and people, the fact that she didn't originally come from that background. Sarah shared some tips about acquisitions and these are the ones that stood out to me. Take the time to understand the incentives and the motivations of the seller. That can be important both in terms of what to focus on in the contract negotiation and also how to make sure the transition runs smoothly. Think about what era the firm that you're looking to acquire is in. Is the the owner retiring and do they have lots of clients who are also retiring from their business? That might impact how long these clients may stick around with you if you acquire them. Watch out for personal relationships in the fee base. Is the largest client actually the firm owner's brother? Again, that can change how long you're going to retain these clients. And Another question to ask is the length of time that the clients have been around at the firm because if if they're newer clients, then it's more likely that they may not stick around during the transition. So some really great tips from Sarah there and three different acquisitions with different outcomes and different challenges. If you've been enjoying the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could take the time to leave a five-star review with a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. That's greatly appreciated. 